0: Well, hey there, my name is Eric Gray, and I'm the Young Adult and Family Minister here at the Regency Church of Christ. I just want to take a minute and say thank you for checking out this message. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. And to find out more information about Regency or to listen to other messages from this series, we'd love for you to check out our website at regencycc.org. And we're praying that this message will help you grow closer to Jesus. Good morning. We're going to continue our Fear is a Liar series. Next week we'll end that, and then we'll move on to something else afterwards. Uh, I saw this study uh, that was done about 15 years ago from two psychologists from the University of Michigan, and they published this neurological study in Science Magazine, so it must be legit if it's in Science Magazine. They were interested in the effect that wins and losses have on the brain. They are trying to look at the effect that victories and defeats, failures and successes, how that has an effect on an individual. And so in the experiment, you're going to have to stay with me on this, because there's some of this that I don't even fully understand. In the experiment, volunteers would wear these electrode caps while they played this computer simulation game. There's this quick game that they play over and over again. And the caps that they would wear would record Charges in brain electrical activity in response to winning and losing. You with me? Okay, and so with each game, their brain would respond a certain way. This medial frontal cortex, it showed an increase in activity. The most interesting discovery that they had was that the medial frontal negativity registered a larger dip after a loss then a corresponding rise in medial frontal positivity after a win. Okay, stay with me. Let me explain this. During a string of losses, this part of the brain's negativity dipped lower after each loss, and each loss compounded with the losses that came before it. So the moral of the story is this. Neurologically speaking, so when it comes to your brain, losses, they found out, they discovered, losses have more of an effect than wins. Losses have more of an effect on your brain than gains do. We fear loss more than we value gain. To put it another way, we fear failing. We fear losing. We fear making mistakes more than we are motivated by victories or success or wins. And I think there's some spiritual ramifications to that. I think actually the way that it should be is we need to fear missed opportunities more than we fear making mistakes. But what this study seems to indicate is that your brain, the way that it works, is when you make a mistake, when you lose, when you have a failure at something, that has more of an impact on you and can be more motivating than the motivation that's found in a potential success. Or taking advantage of an opportunity and there being some kind of victory or gain that come from that. And maybe you've experienced this before. Where rejection or failure or mistake, you lose at something. And so it makes it to where the next time you don't even want to try. You ask a girl out and she says no. So the next time you're more reluctant to ask somebody out. You try something new for the very first time and you kind of fall flat on your face. Maybe other people see it and you're like, "Well, I'm not doing that again. Maybe you, you take a class because there's this, this job you want to pursue and you're not as good at, it, good at it as you thought you were and so you immediately give up and then that prevents you from trying new things in the future. We've experienced this before. We fail at something, we lose at something, and that prevents us, that becomes more motivating than the potential of taking advantage of a new opportunity. But I think there can be some spiritual consequences that come from this as well. And I want to look at a story that I think illustrates this and a mindset that one of these characters in Scripture has that I think is a good mindset for us to have and consider as we talk about fear this month. And the story takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 14. It actually starts one verse before that in chapter 13. Here's what it says. Now, a Philistine garrison took control of the pass at Michmash. That same day, Saul's son Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, he did not tell his father. Our little background here. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. And at this point for the Israelites, it is not looking very good for them. The Philistines have captured, they've taken a lot of the people or all of the people who make weapons for the Israelites And so not only are the Israelites outnumbered, they are also outgunned in this situation or outsword in this situation. And so they are not equipped with the weapons that they need to accomplish victory. And so Jonathan, he makes this decision that seems kind of strange. He's going to go check on things, check things out with the Philistine army. And he's not going to tell anybody about this, including his dad, who's the king. He just takes his armor bearer with him. And he doesn't make a big announcement about it or about his intentions. He just goes out and he's going to make something happen. Let's go to the next, next, next part of the passage. This is actually in your uh, pew sheet as well. Chapter 14, verse 4 through 7 says this. There were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. So it's kind of dangerous here. One was named Bozaz and the other Sennah. One stood to the north in front of Mikmash, and the other to south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. His armor bearer responded, do what is in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. So Jonathan had this desire to advance the kingdom. Jonathan doesn't let his fears dictate his decision. His desire for victory, his motivation of, hey, this is an opportunity here, his desire to advance the kingdom was greater than his potential fear of failure. His attraction to gain is greater than his aversion to loss. And so he courageously climbed the cliffs at Michmash, and he's willing to pick a fight with the entire Philistine army. Now, you might have a heading in your Bible at the top of the passage here, and I know that the headings are not the inspired word of God. I understand that. But sometimes I like the way that the people that have put these Bibles together have put these headings in there. So your heading might say something like, Jonathan attacks the Philistines. But some translations have a heading that i like a little bit more than that where it says jonathan's daring plan i like that title a lot i think that's a neat picture of what's happening here and we know about jonathan that jonathan actually shows courage in many other places as well over in chapter 18 he befriends david who'd one day later become king he goes against his dad uh, in protecting david while king saul was trying to have him killed and the fact that jerry has this, jonathan has this uh, daring plan. His plan kind of makes me feel a little bit better about some of my plans. Really, this has to be the worst military strategy in the history of military strategies. As we read the next few verses, we discover that Jonathan's plan is basically, hey, let's expose ourselves to the enemy in broad daylight. Let's concede the high ground. Let's let them know where we're at. Then he devises this sign that's going to inform them of what they're going to do next. Let's look at the next verse, verse 9 through 10. Here's Jonathan's plan. It says, if they say, wait until we reach you, then we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go up because the Lord has handed them over to us. That will be our sign. Call me crazy, but if I'm making up signs, this is not the sign that I would choose, right? The sign that basically Jonathan is saying, if they say, hey, come over to us, that's the sign that God is going to allow us to have victory. That doesn't seem like a very good sign, Okay. You might think the sign would be like, hey, if they come over to us, then that will be the sign. Or better yet, if they fall off the cliff, that will be the sign that we are going to have victory here. But no, Jonathan's plan is far more dangerous, far more difficult, far more daring than that. I don't know if you're as daring as Jonathan is. Honestly, I'm not as daring as Jonathan. I'm not very daring at all. Um, I I may have talked about this before, but with our youth group, we, we don't do a lot of adventurous things. Like we, we don't play paintball. My last church, we used to have this trip. We'd call it adventure camp and we would do rafting and high ropes course and paintball. I hate paintball. Uh, there's two youth ministers and he was older than me and he would always make me go do the paintball one while he did something less threatening. So I would wear so much clothes, so many clothes and I'd cover myself and I would be the one hiding out and be like, Hey, you go, I'll cover you. And watch you get shot. And that will be my job. You go out there and put yourself in danger. So I'm not, I'm not one to put myself out there in danger uh, in times like this. And, and here we've got this story where hopefully you can see and appreciate what Jonathan's doing. He is outnumbered, he is outgunned, they are using real weapons, no paintballs here. And it takes tremendous courage for him to climb that cliff. So an important question here is. What is motivating Jonathan to do this? What's giving him the courage to go and to act? I mean, wouldn't it make sense like, for him to not do what he's doing here? How did he know that this was God's will? It's hard to know everything that's going through Jonathan's mind in this story here. But we do get a little bit of insight in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 14. It reveals something about Jonathan, about a mindset that he had. It's captured in this verse in verse 6. Says this. Says perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Wow! It takes it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of courage to live with that mindset. Hopefully it inspires you. Hopefully it motivates you to live by faith, to see needs, to take action, and to not let fear prevent us from act, acting. To think, you know, hey, we're gonna do this, and perhaps the Lord will help us. Most of us, I don't think, have ever been faced with a decision like Jonathan is facing here. We're having to put your life on the line. Nevertheless, being passive is not an option here for Jonathan. In this story, it reminds us that the will of God, that God's plan is not an insurance plan. God's plan is a daring plan. More often than not, living for God requires us to make some daring decision, a difficult decision, sometimes a dangerous decision even. That may seem a little out there to other people, but what it definitely does is it requires us to take action. And it may make us uncomfortable. People may look at you and think that you're a little crazy for what you're doing. But the will of God, living in God's plan, is not just something that you can take a seat in and be a part of, and be indifferent about. It is a daring plan. And so I watched Jonathan climb this cliff in my imagination, and I can only assume people might think that he's a little nuts, a little out there. But if we jump to the end of the story, we, re- we read what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 23. We see this. It says, So the Lord saved Israel that day. One person made one move, One person did one thing that made a difference. This morning, let me suggest this. The church needs more daring people with daring plans. Somehow we started believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things. Where did we get that idea from? We need to stop living as if the goal of life is to Safely arrive at death. I think we maybe sometimes make false assumptions about the about the will of God. One bad assumption that we can have is that our spiritual lives should get easier the longer that we follow Christ. And some aspects of spiritual life of our spiritual lives do get easier, of course. But spiritual growth prepares us for maybe dangerous missions and to do daring things for the cause of Christ. The Christian life should not get less adventurous the older we get. It should become more adventurous the more we grow in our faith in Christ. We need more people to have Jonathan's mindset of perhaps the Lord will help us. I think though, sadly, many times Christians operate with the exact opposite mindset of this. We tend to think, hey, perhaps the Lord won't act on our behalf. And so we don't act. And so we spend our entire lives maybe at the foot of that cliff, and we simply don't have the guts to climb it. And then nothing happens, and we live in fear. Fear tells us it's too dangerous. Fear tells us it will never work. Fear tells us you can't do that. Someone else will do that. Someone else will talk about it. Someone else will ask them. Somebody else will have that difficult conversation. After all, what if God doesn't act on our behalf? If we have that attitude, we're going to find ourselves standing at the base of that cliff for a long time with nothing happening. And maybe that is why some of us can get a little bit bored with our faith, because it feels like nothing's happening, because we're not willing to act. I remember uh, when I was at at Germantown, we, we were looking at maybe doing a church plant, and so a few of us went to this church in Missouri that was just planting all kinds of churches, And we did a tour of what they were doing. We met with some of their people. And I remember one of the church plant ministers who met with us, he had this quote that I've remembered for a while. He said this, he says, we don't invite people to come sit in a pew. People don't want to sit in a pew. People want to do something. I think there's truth in that. I think people want to act. People want to get out there. People want to see their faith in action. In this story here with Jonathan, there's actually a contrast that we haven't looked at yet. There's another side to the story. There's a question. Where is the king at? What is King Saul doing? While Jonathan was out climbing cliffs, let's check out what his dad was doing in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 2. It says this, Saul was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron on the outskirts of Gabea. The troops with him numbered about 600. What a contrast we get here. What Saul didn't do, I think, is just as significant as what Jonathan did do. While his son is out there with his daring plan, climbing cliffs, confronting the enemy, Saul is sitting under a pomegranate tree on the outskirts of Gabeah. Maybe sipping on a drink with an umbrella in it, fanning himself. I don't know exactly what he's doing. Probably coming up with some excuse why he shouldn't be out there. The Philistines controlled the pass at Michmash. As the leader of the army of Israel, Saul should have been out there fighting, but instead he's kicking back. He was sitting on the sidelines instead of being out there on the front lines. And this wouldn't be the last time. We know just a a few chapters later, he lets this shepherd boy fight this giant named Goliath. Perhaps you've heard of that story. Saul should have been out there on the battlefield fighting kingdom battles, but instead he sat on the sidelines as a spectator. Bottom line is this, we have a temptation to act like Saul and to let fear keep us on the sidelines, to allow fear to keep us in a place where we're hanging out underneath a pomegranate tree on the outskirts of Gebeah instead of taking on the daring plan and climbing a cliff. We want God to defeat the enemy while we're hanging out under that pomegranate tree. Sometimes, though, we have to get up and do something. And if we don't do anything, nothing is going to happen. If Jonathan hadn't climbed the cliff, if he hadn't engaged the enemy, if he hadn't trusted God, what would have happened? We've got to step out in faith instead of sitting back in fear. There's this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the talents. Now, talents really referred to an amount of money. In this parable, If you remember, the master gives these three servants different amounts of money, these talents. And there's this expectation that when he comes back that they've done something productive with them. And so when he comes back, the first one that he gave five talents to says, it says that he who received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the same thing happens with the servant that had just a couple of talents. And then he gets to the last servant who just had one talent. And this servant had gone out and buried this amount of money. And he makes excuses for why he did this. But notice the difference in the response that the master has with this servant. It says, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. He calls him wicked and lazy. And this parable, I think, is kind of terrifying. Because what had this servant done? Really, he had just played it safe. He had taken what he had been given and he buried it. He didn't lose it. He knew right where it was, but he didn't do anything. And that, to me, is what the parable is about here, talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, listen, you cannot be be lazy with what you've been given. You have to do something with it. At the end of your life, God is not going to say, well said, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well thought Good and faithful servant. He's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. It's about putting faith into action. We have to act with what we've been given. Here's the choice we have to make. It's the choice that we'll leave here this morning. Will we sit under the pomegranate tree or will we climb the cliff? I think fear, in the way that it's a liar, fear can keep us at the bottom of the cliff the fear of disappointing others or the fear of letting people down, that can, like that study at the beginning shown us, that fear can motivate us more than the potential of missing out on some opportunity to do God's will. But doing God's will, doing God's plan, that is not just something that's an insurance plan for us. It is a daring plan. But we let fear, the fear of failure, the fear of looking foolish, the fear of worrying about what others think, We let this fear that the enemy has use it against us to keep us at the bottom, at the base of the cliff. 1 John 4, verse 18 tells us that perfect love drives out all fear. So what do we need to do? We need to realize that Jesus loves us beyond what we could possibly imagine and allow that love to motivate us to act. This morning, maybe there's some way that you need to act. Maybe there is something that you need to do, and it might take some courage. It might be your daring plan this morning. Maybe there has been something that has been holding you back and keeping you at the base of the cliff, not willing to climb yet. So my challenge for you this morning is don't let that fear hold you back from acting. Faith is about action. What action do you need to take this morning? Maybe it's coming forward and confessing a sin. Maybe it's the initial action of declaring that you're going to give your life to Christ through baptism. We want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you need prayers, if you need encouragement, if there's some action you need to take this morning, be daring. Don't let fear hold you back and keep you at the base of the cliff, but decide to come forward this morning and we can pray for you. Whatever needs you have, however we can encourage you, won't you come now as together we stand and sing.